welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Uh, Good evening, everyone. My name is Annie. For those of you who I haven't met before, I am a member of staff here. Uh, I work with our intermediates here as well as do a bit for our high schoolers. So uh, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, It's kind of a bit strange with it being light outside still, but um, hey, daylight savings. I'm excited anyway. I hope you are too. So uh, the Beatitudes are a series of statements that Jesus made at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew 5. And like uh, Jace said before, over the past few weeks, we have been uh, both morning and night taking different Beatitudes and um, unpacking these together. We've been looking at these statements that Jesus made. To recap quickly, we have talked around the idea that blessed is not to simply be substituted with the word happy. The Beatitudes do not mean if you live this way, then you will live the good life. Uh, If you do these things, if you're merciful or mourning or meek, then you'll have an amazing life. This is not uh, the context of the Beatitudes. But blessed is instead how God sees us as we live out these different aspects of our lives. This series of statements all relate and interact with one another. It is a passage of scripture that shows us eight characteristics of one person. This passage is a guide for how we live in sync with God as followers of Jesus. This evening we're gonna chat to verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now I love this beatitude. For me it sounds maybe the nicest of them all. Uh, And it contains the greatest promise that Jesus could ever give us, that we will see God. And yet this beatitude makes us stop and think. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Can I be pure in heart? And what does it mean to see God? Let us take a look first at this word pure and what it is meant by in this particular verse. The Greek word for pure is katharos, and it has a variety of usages, all of which have something to add to the meaning of this beatitude for the Christian life. Originally, it simply meant clean, for instance, used or soiled clothes which have been washed clean. It is regularly used to describe corn which has been sifted and cleansed of all chaff, and in the same way it is used of an army which has gotten rid of all discontented, cowardly, and unwilling soldiers. It also very commonly appears in company with another Greek adjective, akiritos, which can be used to describe milk or wine which is unadulterated with water, or to describe metal which has in it no tinge of alloy. So then, the basic meaning of this word, katharos, is unmixed, unadulterated, unalloyed. So, this beatitude could read, blessed is the man whose heart is entirely unmixed, or singular, for that man shall see God. So let us next look together at what the Bible means by our hearts. So often I think when we think of our hearts, we think of our emotions. We might say, I feel in my heart it's the right thing to do. Um, and that we associate with our feelings or emotions. Or we might say, my heart is with them. Or often we talk about the heart as opposed to the head. 
In our English dictionary, the heart, apart from the obvious reference to the heart organ, the definitions are things like the center of the total personality, especially with reference to feeling or emotion, the center of emotion, the capacity for sympathy, feeling or affection, spirit, courage, or enthusiasm. Now, all of these things relate to our feelings. However, the Bible doesn't actually mean that when it says heart in this particular scripture. The heart here is the word cardia, which rather than being the center of your emotions, is actually the center of all spiritual and all physical life, your mind, your will, and your emotions, or rather your intellectual, your emotional, and dutiful parts of your life. Emotions, mind, and actions. So we have this idea that blessed is the pure in heart. Someone who is pure in heart is singular and unmixed in their thoughts and their actions and their emotions. Let us go one step further and look at the concept of integrity. The definition of integrity is someone who is whole or undivided, which is a lot like this definition that we have for pure. The pure in heart is someone who has integrity of heart. We live in a society that is uh, captivated by personality. It celebrates personality over character. Some of you may have read a book called Quiet by Susan Cain. She um, is a lady who did a TED talk a while ago um, about the power of introversion, something I relate to. Um, but she talks about in her book how we have shifted from a culture of character to a culture of personality. A culture of character is where things like inner strength and integrity and work and good deeds performed when no one was looking used to be valued. Whereas now we live in a culture of personality where things like charisma and charm are much more highly valued. She talks about how high-frequency words in self-help manuals back in the 1800s were words like citizenship and duty and honor and integrity and work, but how in the 1990s they have been replaced by words um, that have been used more frequently in these advice and self-help manuals. These words are things like magnetic, fascinating, attractive, stunning, glowing, dominant. We live in a culture that celebrates personality over character. But yet here the Bible does not say blessed are the attractive or blessed are the dominant or blessed are the charismatic. No, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who have integrity, those who are undivided in their emotions and their thoughts and their actions. Blessed are those who have integrity at the center of who they are. So you might ask, how do I get integrity of heart? Um, a couple of Sunday nights ago when Matt was speaking, he mentioned that what we have been looking at during this series on the Beatitudes is um, how is it that we can abide in such a way with Jesus that we can live out each particular Beatitude in our lives? How do I abide in Jesus in such a way that I can be pure in heart? Going to give you three quick things, and they're definitely not an exhaustive list, and I think they definitely all overlap with each other. But the first way that you get integrity of heart is by getting Jesus, or rather, by Jesus getting you. This is not a one-time thing, and it's not just the hand up on the altar call. 
um, of when you may first come into relationship with Jesus, though this is a key part of it. As we choose Jesus for the first time, he begins the process of transforming our hearts. We've talked about how in this passage, the pure in heart is more than just the pure in emotion, but our emotions and our mind and our actions. In order to get integrity of heart, we must bring all aspects of our lives to Jesus. He must catch all aspects of our lives. As human beings, we so often compartmentalize our lives, particularly, I think, when it comes to God. Sometimes I know we can think, Sunday, it's my God day, Monday is work day, Tuesday, I don't know, work again, probably. Um, But I wonder for you guys, is there a balance in your relationship to God? The problem is, is if we are only relating to God on an intellectual level, then there is likely to be almost no passion in your relationship with God and no real change in your behavior. Your knowledge of God might be great, but you aren't experiencing God um, and it's in the fullness that Jesus intended for us. And if you're only relating to God through your emotions, then you might get all sorts of great feelings when you come and gather together and worship communally together or maybe um, just on your own when you're spending time with God. But what happens on a day that you aren't feeling it if you aren't relating to God in other ways. You don't have the knowledge of who God is to take over on a day you're not feeling that great about God. And if you only relate to God through your actions, then you may do the right thing. You might tick all the boxes. Um, But when it comes to your mind and intellect, you aren't growing in your concept of who God is. And you aren't necessarily lifting up your heart in the emotional sense to God you'll do things out of duty rather than relationship. I hope that kind of makes sense to you, but if you, aren't, if you are only relating to God with only your mind or only your emotions or only your actions, then you don't have your whole heart fully engaged with him. God longs for us to relate to him fully, for us to open up all parts of our lives to him that as we do that, he will come and transform every single area of our lives. Tim Keller says, God is not wanting Christians to become faster caterpillars, but instead butterflies. We say it over and over again in church life that God loves us so much that he is not content to leave us where we are. His desire for us is to grow and be transformed into his likeness. So in order for us to be singular, in our hearts, we need for Jesus to get all of us, every area of our lives, for him to grip every corner and every nook and every pocket of our hearts. Another way we can get integrity of heart is by ditching our idols. Psalm 24, three and four says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol, or swear by a false god. An idol is anything in your life that becomes greater than God. It is uh, not necessarily something physical, although sometimes it can be. Idols can take many shapes and forms, but ultimately, it's anything that has become your security. It could be a person, or it could be an item. 
but it also can be things like control or competitiveness or self-sufficiency or love. Tim Keller says, something becomes an idol when keeping that thing becomes your security. Worshipping that idol means keeping that thing to stay in control, finding your meaning in that thing, and that thing becoming your God and your saviour. A pure heart is somebody who has recognised their idols and ditched them. Sometimes we think that getting rid of the things that distract us from God is an impossible thing to do. We might try our best for a bit, but those things creep their way back into our life sometimes. And I love that the Bible is full of people, that this is their story. I love that God didn't hide the mistakes of his people from his word. It gives me hope and it gives me encouragement for my own life, and I hope it does for you too. One of the obvious greats of the Bible is David, described as a man after God's own heart. And yet he had his flaws, and at times he placed idols in his life higher than God, an obvious example being Bathsheba. But the thing about David is that when Nathan came to him and rebuked him for his behavior, he responded with absolute repentance. He recognized the error in his ways, He realized that he had made something else more important than God, and he turned his heart fully back to God, as we see in the cry of Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I'm glad that stories like David's are there for us to draw on. As we've talked about in this series, each of the Beatitudes intersects with the other Beatitudes. The poor in spirit is the place each of us begins life with Jesus, where we come to this point and recognize our absolute need of God. And it is a humbling place. Erwin McManus says the only way to become a person of integrity is to become a person of humility. Humility says to God, here I am, I cannot save myself. The things that I've held in high esteem are small in the presence of who you are, God. We lay down our pride and we realize that God is the most important thing. Joe talked a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning about the beatitude of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or right relationship. By getting rid of our idols, we are hungry and we're thirsty to be in right relationship with God, where he is the highest. And likewise with the rest of the Beatitudes too, they all kind of play into this. You know, the practice of spiritual disciplines that Don uh, spoke to us a few months ago, um, disciplines, spiritual disciplines, it sounds hard, but it it is. Um, Yeah, Don talked to us, these things that we can put in practice in our lives help us to center our lives on him. And... I think the cool thing is, is that as we create good habits in our lives, um, over time these things become more and more natural, more and more of a rhythm in our lives, and it becomes easier and easier to center our lives on him. We must get rid of our idols and return Jesus to the center place. And like Jesus getting all of us, it's something we return to do again and again. Thirdly, a person who has integrity of heart examines their motives. This person continually prays the prayer of Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
See if there be any wicked way in me. Now, I know enough about the darkness of my own heart to know that I can do the right thing sometimes, the right thing, without actually having the right motivation for it. But the person of integrity is undivided in their thought and their action. God is much more interested in who we are, who we are becoming, rather than what we do. But the doing will flow out of who we are if we bring who we are into the whole light of Jesus. William Barclay says, this beatitude demands from us the most exacting self-examination. Is our work done from motives of service or from motives of pay? Is our service given from selfless motives or from motives of self-display? Is the work we do in church done for Christ or for our own prestige? Is our church going an attempt to meet God or a fulfilling of a habitual and conventional respectability? Are even our prayer and our Bible reading engaged upon with a sincere desire to company with God or because it gives us a pleasant feeling of superiority to do these things? Is our religion a thing in which we are conscious of nothing so much as the need of God within our hearts or a thing in which we have comfortable thoughts of our own piety? To examine one's own motives is a daunting and shaming thing, for there are few things in this world that even the best of us do with completely unmixed motives. Now imagine that I am leaving for a two-week summer holiday, which sounds like a dream to me right now. Um, And as I'm leaving, I remember, hey, I like to turn off all the switches in the house because save power, good for the environment, that sort of thing. But accidentally, instead of turning off the microwave, I turn the fridge off. Now, two weeks goes by, I have a great holiday, I come home, what do I come home to? A stinky, rotten fridge and freezer full of decaying food. You can imagine it after two weeks, gross. But it's okay, because I know how to fix it. I get a big bucket of hot, soapy water, and I begin to clean the outside of the fridge down, making it all sparkly and clean. But then I open the door to the fridge and find that the rotten and decaying food is still in there. So I try something else. I find a BMW sticker and I put that across the front of the fridge and I get a fish symbol, put that on the back. Um, But you know what? I open up the fridge and the mess is still there. And so I try something else. I think, hey, I'm going to throw a home appliance party. Um, All the big names come. There's the Electrolux, the Fisher & Paykel washing machine. Uh, I fill my house up with appliances because surely social interaction will fix my fridge. But of course it doesn't. And by now you might be thinking, Annie, you're nuts. Why do you think that you would try to change the inside of something by focusing on the outside? But we do it all the time. It's that I'm feeling down, so I'll go and buy a new dress. I'm guilty of that sometimes. It's the people in my life bring me too much conviction of how I'm living, so I'll go and find new friends who don't challenge my behavior. It's a changing your look every six months to keep up with appearances and fit in. It's that I just watched a whole season of TV because I actually don't want to face the world right now. And we laugh because some of these things we relate to and some of them aren't the worst things in the world that you can do. But if we let it, it can be easy for us to use the escapism of these things from facing what's really going on for us. In these times when it's easier to change the outside, we need to examine our own hearts. 
That little fridge analogy I took from a book called The Applause of Heaven by Max Licardo. I'm not that clever to come up with that on my own. But he says something which I think is quite profound. The, ex the exterior polished, the interior corroding. The outside altered, the inside faltering. One thing is clear, cosmetic changes are only skin deep. By now you can write the message of this beatitude. It's a clear one. You change your life by changing your heart. It's so profound and yet so simple. And it reminds me of a conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 25 to 26, Jesus said, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You burnish the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun, while the insides are maggoty with your greed and your gluttony. Stupid Pharisee, scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will actually mean something. As evidenced in the words of Jesus, God is much more concerned with your inner life than your outward one, integrity over personality. You don't wake up one day and accidentally you're like, oh, I've got integrity. It doesn't happen like that. Jesus 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers, and therefore deceive yourselves. Integrity of heart involves doing something about it. It doesn't come by osmosis. You make inward choices every day, examining your motives, ensuring they're coming from a good place. It is in the little and in the big actions, in the seen and particularly the unseen, that develop your character. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life because it's the harder road. And the easy broad road is to live selfishly and to keep doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Now, age is not a contributing factor to integrity either. You don't turn 60 one day. Not that I'm saying that's old. Um, but you don't turn 60 and discover that you have integrity. Integrity is a choice that you can make at any age. Integrity is for the young and for the old. Now, if you consider yourself to be in the young age bracket here, don't let your youth be an excuse to make dodgy decisions. Psalm 119, 9 to 16 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. It is clear that the psalmist here thinks that integrity is for all ages too. It can sound overwhelming, and some of you may be sitting here thinking, it's a hill too steep for me to climb. But I think that we can take hope in that to be pure in heart is actually not to be perfect. Um, it's not perfection that God is after, but a wholehearted, genuine relationship with Jesus that allows for his light to shine on every area of our lives. We've talked a lot tonight about the things we can do, because as in any relationship, action is required on both parts. But as we partner with God, we know that we can't hide anything from God, so we bring all that we have, our hopes and our fears, our dreams, our worries, our emotions, our intellect, 
our actions into the light of who he is, into his truth and his grace. And he does his part. Because at the end of the day, as we keep fixing our gaze on him, the troubles and cares of our lives fade to the background. And he goes about his work of transforming us. Brennan Manning in Lion and Lamb tells the story of St. Francis of Assisi who was walking with a fellow monk one day, and I thought that I would share it with you. Francis noted that Brother Leo was quite low, maybe even depressed, so Francis asked, Leo, do you know what it means to be pure of heart? Of course, Leo said, it means to have no sins, faults or weaknesses to reproach myself for. Ah, said Francis, now I understand why you're sad. We would always have something to reproach ourselves for. Right, said Leo, that's why I despair of ever arriving at a pure heart. Leo, listen carefully to me. Don't be so preoccupied with the purity of heart. Turn and look at Jesus. Admire him, rejoice that he is what he is, your brother, your friend, your Lord and saviour. That little brother is what it means to be pure of heart. And once you've turned to Jesus, don't turn back and look at yourself. Don't wonder where you stand with him. The sadness of not being perfect, the discovery that you really are sinful, is a feeling much too human, even borders on idolatry. Focus your wisdom outside yourself on the beauty, graciousness, and compassion of Jesus Christ. The pure of heart praise him from sunrise to sundown. Even when they feel broken, feeble, distracted, insecure, and uncertain, they are able to release it to his peace. A heart like that is stripped and filled, stripped of self and filled with the fullness of God. It is enough that Jesus is Lord. And after a long pause, Leo said, still Francis, the Lord demands our effort and fidelity. No doubt about that, replied Francis, but holiness is not a personal achievement. It is an emptiness you discover in yourself. Instead of resenting it, you accept it, and it becomes the free space where the Lord can create anew. To cry out, you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord. That is what it means to be pure of heart. And it doesn't come by your own Herculean efforts and threadbare resolutions. Then how, asked Leo, simply hoard nothing of yourself. Sweep the house clean, sweep out the attic, even the nagging, painful consciousness of your past. Renounce everything that is heavy, even the weight of your sins. See only compassions, the infinite patience, and the tender love of Christ. Jesus is Lord, that suffices. Even the desire for holiness is transformed into a pure and simple desire for Jesus. And Leo listened gravely as he walked beside Francis, but step by step he felt his heart grow lighter as a profound peace flooded his soul. I really like that story. In closing, uh, two weeks ago I was preparing and I was thinking about Those of you here who already walk this way of life, you live faithfully, you make choices and decisions to live as integrally as possible. And I was reminded of something that I believe God spoke to me about a month or two ago. And the irony of this is, is that uh, in light of the events for us as a gateway community for the last few weeks, um, this is, I feel, is even more applicable now. 
For me personally, the last couple of months, it's not that I have felt far from God, it's that, it's probably the opposite really, but let's just say God and I have been having some very hearty conversations. And when I say conversations, which implies two people talking, it's more like me talking and God hopefully listening. Yeah, God is much more patient with me than I am with him. But I guess just with a few different things going on for me personally, and things that I have seen in the lives of people that I'm close to, people in my world, um, that they necessarily haven't, not necessarily have brought on themselves, um, but seeing the enemy trying to take ground in people's lives, and it's not okay, it's dumb. Um, so God and I have been in this dialogue about that, and I am extremely thankful that we serve a God who is not afraid of our questions, because I have got lots at the moment, if I'm honest. Anyway, one particular day, I was dragging my feet to come to work here. Um, don't get me wrong, I love working here, it's a great time. Uh, but on this day, I was feeling a bit weary. And it's funny because sometimes we don't even have to voice to God what's going on for us, he knows. And I'm not by any means saying that I live a perfect life and make great choices 24-7, because really I don't. Just ask my flatmates. Um, but on that day, if I had have actually voiced to God what was going on for me, it would have gone something like this. I'm tired, God, what's the point? I keep making these choices and things keep turning out like this. So many things are happening for people close to me. Where are you, God? Where are you in this? I'm tired and I'm weary. What's the point in continuing to do the right thing to make these choices? And I went in to make a cup of tea, as you do, in the staff kitchen up on the second floor up there. And if some of you have been in the tribe rooms, you would see some of the great displays that our amazing tribe helpers make for the different topics topics that our primary school children learn up there on a Sunday morning. And so I'm leaning on the bench, waiting for the jug to boil. A watch pot never boils, but you know, waiting for it to boil. Um, and probably letting out a big sigh, to be honest. Um, and I look up on the wall, and there's a verse up there, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, that says, don't ever get tired of doing the right thing. I love it when the Holy Spirit knows what I need before that I know that I need it. It's crazy. But I believe that there are some of you here tonight, and that is a word for you. You've lived your life faithfully in the small things, in the unseen and the seen. But for whatever reason, maybe circumstantial, or maybe it's a hurt that someone else has caused you, but you are feeling a bit worn out and you're wondering, where are you, God, in this? What's the point in doing good if it keeps turning out like this? You're feeling weary in doing good. And I want to encourage anyone here tonight, if that is you, don't ever get tired of doing the right thing. In Galatians 6, 9, a similar verse says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This thing called faith means we walk in it even when we can't see. And as Don often says, we trust his heart when we cannot see his hand. Hang in there. In due season, you will reap a harvest. Keep trusting, keep believing, keep praying, keep hoping. Hold on. The reality of the cynical, untrusting world that we live in is that it can wear us down. And it can be easy to let comparison enter our lives as we look and see what we assume is the good life, 
for those who are making different choices than how we as followers of Jesus are called to live. Don't throw away your convictions because life seems a bit hard and things aren't happening as you thought they should, or because someone has let you down. Don't put your hope in circumstance or people. Put your hope in God. Hang in there, fix your eyes on him. Let it be enough that God is God. Um, If the worship team could come, that would be great. But this morning we sang a song, uh, Waiting Here For You, and I'm sure we've sung it here at, at night before. But I love the line in it that says, you are everything you've promised. Your faithfulness is true. And in my years of living, I can confidently say that God has not let me down yet. Other people have, for sure, but not God. We can take heart that even though Jesus did not promise us a life free of trial, he did promise that he has overcome the world. He promises not to take us out of the trial, but to walk alongside us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or as the message puts it, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. It is the greatest promise in all of these Beatitudes and what we live our lives as Christians for, that we will see God. That we will see God not just on that day when Jesus returns or we are called home, but that as we live our lives pure in our motives and thoughts and actions, that we will see God in the everyday, in the normal, in the mundane. We will see his faithfulness. We will see his kingdom here on earth at work in the very ordinary, our good, our faithful, our loving God who so generously lavishes his love on us. You know, sometimes the things, the circumstances, the health diagnoses, broken relationships, they don't change. Our very real reality is we still live in a very real broken world. But thank God that he has the ultimate victory. Sometimes it can be easy to look around at the brokenness of humanity and despair. But the truth is that the enemy is as defeated today as he was on the day that Jesus hung on the cross. God has the final say. And as we live pure in heart, single-minded in everything, allowing God to be God, we will see him at work in us and in around us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to spend some time uh, just singing together to a God who is worthy of all that we are, of all that we have. Um, He's unfailing, he's trustworthy, he's faithful. And this is a chance for you to come. You can come down the front if you want, or you can stay where you are. But just to surrender to God and... Um, The Bible talks about lifting your heart with your hands as an open sign of surrender. Um, Here I am, God, have it all. This is a chance for you uh, to take some time to reflect on that tonight. Um, So if you would be upstanding, let us sing together. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, Check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.